Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, a weekly show about art, craft, and creativity. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm very excited to bring you an interview with Liesl Gibson. She is the creator of Oliver and S, the children's clothing uh, pattern company. It's really fabulous. I mean, they have darling, everything from the packaging of the patterns that include paper dolls on the front. There's a little sleeve, the pattern packet goes into that's actually a, a paper doll of the pattern, which is a darling way to market this brand. And the patterns are really great because they're classic. They're not the sort of thing that you'll put on your child and then live to regret it five years later. <laughs> so I know I am completely in love with the jump rope dress pattern, which I'll put a photo up on the blog of some and link over to Liesl's site so you can see her work. I'm sure you're going to recognize it because her patterns are in an increasing number of fabric stores. She has some Michigan ties, so she went to Calvin College here in Michigan, and she was actually has relatives in the area, so when she was in town to visit, she contacted me, and we were able to get together, and we had a little chat at a Panera Bread, which was really fun, you know, because I, I don't often get to meet the people face to face because I'm pretty much I'm in Michigan I don't make it to all the conventions this is just another example of a crafty woman out there who has recruited her husband into the business uh, it's actually a um, husband and wife team now running Oliver and us and that's interesting too because you know when you have to make when you make those decisions to transition from a one person thing to bring more people into it you know these are all challenging business decisions that you have to make and for anyone out there with a handmade business or those who just have aspirations of having a handmade business, I think you're going to find this really informative. And if you just like to sew and you don't want to have a big, huge business, I think you're going to like this too because she's going to tell some of the stories about fashion design and pattern making and and all that good stuff. So settle in for a really interesting interview. And then check out craftsanity.com for links to Liesl's website and the blog. What I like to do is kind of start from the beginning, and I know we had a chance to visit briefly at Panera Bread <laughs> here in uh, in West Michigan, which was yeah, it, it was really fun. And because you were in town to visit, it was for a family reunion. That's right. For yeah. your husband's family is from here. Uh, it was actually my side of the. Family. Oh, your side. Of, okay. My family all year long, a couple of sisters getting married and family reunions and all kinds of stuff going on. So. It's been my family this year. <laughs> so remind me, um, where are you from originally? Um, primarily Madison, Wisconsin. My my father is a professor, and we, um, when I was younger, did a lot of moving around. I was born in Seattle, Washington, and we lived for a while in um, in Canada. But we settled in Madison, Wisconsin when I was in, oh, I think first grade, and my parents are still there. And then uh, you actually came to West Michigan to go to school, I understand. That's right. Yeah, my husband and I met at Kelvin in Michigan. And my, my parents are originally from Michigan as well. So I still have a grandmother who's there. And we, we are back very frequently to visit. Oh, and my, my husband's family, of course, is there as well. Okay, so you have some pretty strong ties to, to Michigan. And, and that's, how, that's how and why we met. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I remembered that you were located there and knew I was coming in. Yeah, we've had a lot of really cool people blow through West Michigan this summer. I have to oh, say, yeah, it's been really fun to meet people. Um, yeah, so so let's let's talk about your creative roots a little bit and what started you on this path. Because usually, you know, we don't just develop this stuff as adults. Most of us who are into you know making things and creating things, this has been kind of in us from the beginning. Uh, so as a child, what types of things were you into? What what did you do? That and did you sew at an early age? Not really, no. My mom did a lot of sewing, and I watched her sew from a very early age. In fact, I remember playing underneath her sewing machine when I was really young. Um, but I would never, I wouldn't let her teach me. I, she really wanted to, and I, I just, I, I just, I don't know. There was something about, something about the mother-daughter relationship. I, I adore her, and we're very close. But I just refused at that age to let her teach me. We did a lot of crafting, though. I mean, gosh. All sorts, really. I, I didn't learn to knit until I was in my 20s, but I'd say um, all sorts of other crafting. I mean, I remember tons of paper crafts and a lot of hand sewing and embroidery and things like that, but I didn't really start 
using a sewing machine until my family, I was in high school and my family was on vacation um, for a week. I stayed home to, to work and um, I remember I, I went to the fabric store and picked out a pattern and picked out some fabric and took it home and just sewed up a dress and I had never sewn before but I had always watched my mom. So I, I knew, you know, I knew about the grain, I knew about how to lay out a, a pattern, I pretty much knew everything I needed to do but I had just never taken a lesson and you know, just had always watched her do it. But yeah, we, I've always just done all sorts of crafts. I guess my sisters and I all. So. How many sisters do you have? I have four younger sisters. Oh wow, that must yeah, be so fun. Fourteen years spread between us. So. Wow, and so you're the oldest. I am. I'm the oldest of three sisters, but I'm... yeah, I only have two. I, oh, yeah, but um, but yeah, that must be really fun. Sisters to... are fun. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. So, so you kind of had this um, in a way. You, your mom did teach you to to sew, just not like having you actually sitting there, because it sounds like you absorbed so much watching her. It was kind of osmosis because I never really like I would talk to her a little bit. We'd, I remember sitting on the living room floor rug with her when she was laying out patterns, and I you know kind of talked to her and asked questions about how she did different things and why you know why you laid it out this way and not a different way. But I never actually. I, you know, I, I, I might be sitting with her at the sewing machine and, like, I remember playing with her pin cushion when she was sewing, but it was never, like, a conscious, right, um, right. you know, what's a seam allowance, what's a, you know, what are these different things. Right, like right. That. It was just sort of, yeah, I think just all those years of watching just sort of just absorbed it. <laughs> so when you were at Calvin then, what did you study in college for your undergrad? I sort of cobbled together a, um, a graphic arts or communication arts type of um, major. Calvin really focuses more on a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and I wanted more of an applied arts degree. So I had to sort of make one up myself. And fortunately, there was a professor there who had recently come actually from New York, and he was a... Um, I think he had been a professor at Parsons, and he did a really nice graphic arts. He helped me to put together a major, so I sort of made up my own. And yeah, that, that's ultimately why what I graduated with. Um, but then I went in a very different direction from that. So um, I don't even know how much that applies when it comes right down to it. Well, so what, so what did you do next then? So you had this um, applied yeah. art degree. Yeah. So the way it kind of works is um, Todd and I, my husband and I, met at Kelvin. And we um, were working on, he was the editor and I was the associate editor for the literary magazine at our, our college. Um, so he was doing most of the content and, um, you know, finding people to write for us and things like that. And I was doing most of the, the visual. I was, um, you know, finding the art and um, commissioning things and then doing all of the layout for the magazine and doing a lot of the covers and things like that. And that's how I pretty much taught myself the, the program that at the time was sort of the standard. It was um, PageMaker, which was an early predecessor, I guess, to um, InDesign and some of the other um, publication design programs that are, that are out now. So I, I had started in that area, and what I thought I wanted to do was publication design. I wanted to do book design. So Todd and I got married pretty much right out of, out of school, and we moved to New York. Todd was going to graduate school at NYU, and I wanted to work in publishing. Um, and I found a job right away and um, didn't really, unfortunately, didn't really have a, a portfolio. We weren't really taught, um, you know, it was, I, there was no applied arts degree, so I wasn't really taught this is what you need to come to the city with, mm -hmm. this is what you need to, to get a job. So the, the job that I found was really more editorial, um, and I was able to do a little bit of book design in there, but it was mostly an editorial position with um, John Wiley and Sons, actually. Um, and I stayed there for a couple of years and then got another job with a different publishing company where um, myself and my boss started an imprint, a, a science trade um, imprint for a larger science publish publishing company. Um, and that was a really interesting job because it was just the two of us, and I was... Um, you know, I was reading manuscripts, and I was working with authors to develop, and I was, I was signing contracts and um, doing a lot of travel. And then this was in my early 20s. I mean, it was an amazing opportunity. Um, I was working with very well-known designers to, to do book covers and, you know, approving art and, and finding art. And just, um, it really gave me a great, um, great experience in just running a business, essentially, because I had my hands in everything. Mm -hmm. I remember going back to my desk with 
you know, two-foot-high stacks of manuscripts and, you know, one day's work and just thinking, how am I going to get all this done? <laughs> it really sort of prepared me for what I'm doing now. But the funny thing was that I, I left that job um, after a few years, and I ended up, I ended up in um, finance. I ended up working in, in banking uh, for... I don't know, four or five years. Yeah, and how did that happen again, that you went oh, from... Oh, God. I took a job. I was wooed away, and I still can't believe I left because it was such a great job. I was wooed away by an agent. Um, he needed um, some help with... Um, he, he wanted me to basically represent you know, a lot of his authors for him. And shortly after, about a week after I took the job, I... Um, the, the company lost a huge account in a different area, and he had to let a whole bunch of us go. So all of a sudden, I had no job. Oh, jeez. Um, having gone from this job that I absolutely adored to having no job whatsoever. And I, I ended up doing some freelance work and, and was working for George Soros, who I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with him. He made all this money in the um, international world, and he had this amazing firm that um, oh, we were just talking about it the other day. He, he had his own trading floor in this company, in this building in, um, on the Upper East Side, and um, he had these two chefs that made his lunch every day. Oh my gosh! He had a, a dessert break in the middle of the afternoon. It was just—it was like the classiest place ever. I mean, kind of a crazy, a crazy experience. But I was working for the um, the CFO, and I was writing these, like, handwriting these enormous, like, multi-million-dollar tax checks to the government and just sitting at my desk thinking, how the heck did this girl from the Midwest, you know, get into the spot where I'm, I'm writing checks for $124 million. You know, oh my goodness. Crazy stuff. It was a really crazy experience for somebody who had worked in, you know, the low finance world of publishing. Right, you know, right. Doing everything to suddenly walk into this, this big firm that, well, it, was, it wasn't even really that big, but just this really um, successful firm where, you know, everyone was just incredibly intelligent and cultured and very sophisticated. And I just thought, wow, I want to be here. You know, why am I working in this dingy back cubicle for a publisher when I could be working, you know, doing this finance thing? So I, um, oh gosh, I started reading books and just kind of educating myself and ended up um, finding a job to, I think, everyone's shock and, and surprise. Um, I found a job um, working for Smith Barney on the equity research side, which is usually something that you only do if you, you know, if you are a business major and um, possibly even an MBA. And <laughs> right. Really, I mean, it was a completely different direction for me. Me, the girl who, you know, barely got through math class in college. So how did that happen even? I mean, how did you pull I that off? No, I think I interview really well. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. They, I think they did want somebody with some publishing experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just kind of this crazy experience, and I ended up, um, I ended up covering real estate investment trusts um, known as REITs, which were really hot in the day. So I was, you know, um, crunching the numbers on spreadsheets and talking to CFOs and CEOs of companies, and um, it's fairly—I don't want to say high-profile, but but very um, crazy. You know, just the the whole world of investment banking and. Um, especially during that day and age where there really wasn't such a firewall between investment banking and, and equity research. So the, I saw a lot of really interesting things and survived a couple of mergers and um, really knew I wasn't in the right area. I mean, it was extremely stressful. I would wake up just sort of sick to my stomach every morning. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. I mean, it was very, very long hours and just really demanding. And um, just always feeling like, like you know, you were just running this, this rat race, really. Um, so I, I knew I was unhappy, and I knew I didn't want to be doing this for much longer. It, it had been five years at this point, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was sort of interested in marketing, and I was sort of interested in, um, you know, several different things. I couldn't decide whether I wanted to go back to school and get an MBA or what, you know, what I was going to do. So I, I actually started working with a career counselor, and... Um, you know all those tests that you have to take mm -hmm. in school, your interest inventory and right. things, and, and everything was coming back marketing or um, fashion design. And I had been fighting fashion design since, I don't know, high school, I think, when we first started taking those interest inventories. Um, because I just had this perception that fashion was very superficial and 
um, you know, just really backstabbing and, you know, all the cliches that that fashion has and unfortunately actually is. Um, <laughs> but I woke up one morning with this revelation that I just had to go back to school for fashion design. And um, I pretty much went in a week later and just quit and immediately applied um, to FIT, the Fashion Institute of Design, um, and was accepted into, the, into their, um, they have a one-year program, a very intensive one-year program where you do just fashion for a full year. So I walked out of, out of the world of investment banking and directly into school for fashion design. Um, and it was actually kind of funny because at the time that I was leaving, a woman who had been working for Calvin Klein was just coming into our company and was <laughs> sitting at the desk, just, you know, two desks away from me. So it was really funny to trade stories with her and, um, you know, learn about, learn about her side of the business and my side of the business. And, it was an interesting transition, but that's how I ended up going back to fashion school. And so when you were in school, did you just focus on school, or did you have a job at that time, too? I tried working for about two weeks and realized that there was no way that I was going to be able to work. I, I, had, I started out saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work 20 hours a week or something and then go to school, but it was so intense. It was... Um, good preparation for starting this business, when, come to think of it, because mm-hmm. it, was, it was really, we'd start classes at, I don't know, 8 or 9 in the morning, and I would still be up, you know, Todd would go to bed at 11 at night, and I would just be getting out the sewing machine to do my homework for the next day. I was, it was really long hours. Um, but we took, it was, it was crazy, actually, because we'd take first semester draping in the morning and then second semester draping in the afternoon. So I was draping cowls before I knew how to make a sloper. It was just, uh. <laughs> it was really a crazy experience. But there was, um, oh gosh, there was illustration classes and um, a sewing class and pattern making and draping and just really, really intensive um, introduction to, to fashion design. It was an amazing experience. I knew I was in my element right away. So you just felt like you just knew that was the right, the right place to be. Yeah. yeah, I did. It was amazing. Yeah. And so were you able to get into school really fast then? I mean, because you said you made the decision pretty quickly to get in there. Was it easy yeah, to know, get? One of the reasons I jumped so fast was because I realized that um, the second semester was starting within a week or two. Oh, okay. I woke up. Okay. So you so had to I, move quickly. Otherwise, you I had to did. wait a semester. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So you got right into it and a year later you were done. Then it's a year program. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew, um, it's funny because when you're, when you're in school, you really, um, they focus a lot. FIT is great. I had an amazing, I had some really amazing professors there. And one of my professors really helped us to put together a very strong portfolio. And part of that was, um, sort of, Identifying what your what's called taste level is, um, sort of who your who you sort of naturally design to, I think is probably the best way of explaining that. Um, identifying basically who you'd want to work for, you know, where you would fit in um, most easily, and then putting together a portfolio that would represent yourself um, in a way that would make you appealing to that company. Um, and I knew right off the bat that I wanted to work for Ralph Lauren. Um, and I, I, I just, I really enjoyed what he was doing and the style that, that he was working in and the colors that he was using. Um, so I tailored my, my portfolio towards them. And I met one of the representatives at a, I think it was a career fair or something, um, towards the end of school. And they just kept calling me, and I kept saying, I want to finish school. I want to finish school. I just have, you know, another month to go. Um, so I got a job with them right out of school. That's great. Was a really fantastic experience. And, you know, how old were you when you went back to school? Uh, let's see. I was, I think I turned 30 right after I graduated. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, that, well, and I think that's really cool, too, because I think a lot of times people, you know, we go to college, we do the undergrad, and then you discover later in life, maybe later into your 20s or 30s, that you're like, man, maybe that wasn't what I should have studied. (laughs) And then, and then people, they feel bad because they spend a lot of money on that first degree. And they sometimes stop short of just allowing themselves to explore that thing that, you know, they really want to do. And I think a lot of times we don't really know who we are (laughs) until we have some time to kind of go around in the world a bit, you know, and, and I think I spent a lot of time in my 20s just sort of depressed because I felt like, 
you know, I could go so many different directions. And part of it, I think, was just the advantage of having had a liberal arts education. Right. Um, but I just felt like, like there were so many different areas that I was interested in and so many different things that I could potentially do. How, do you really have to pick this one thing, you know? Yeah. So it was nice to be able to try a few different things before going back and saying, okay, I think this is what I want to do. And then being fortunate enough to say afterwards, okay, I made the right choice, you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I, I think that it could have gone a totally different, different direction, too. I mean... I probably could have been perfectly happy getting a, um, an MBA in marketing and working in that area, but I, I love what I do, and I'm, I'm really pleased that, that it did work out this way. Yeah, and I, well, I think, too, it's it, it, what, the older you get, too, I think the more you do know, you know yourself, you know, um, I think the twenties, the twenties for me were, you know, just, especially my mid twenties, I was a pretty angry person. Like I was just like, this is it. This is as good as it gets, you know? It's, it's, it's <laughs> such a shock. Like when you're in school, you sort of think, well, you know, I, I've got a lot of skills. I, I'm just going to go, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, I'm going to be at the top in no time. And then you realize that it's not all merit based either. Right. It has to do with being in the right place at the right time. And, yeah, it's it's hard in your twenties to sort of make all those realizations. Yeah, and in some cases too, it's like if you don't want to drink the Kool Aid at no, the company. It's so true. Um, and I've never been. I mean, I like Kool Aid for real, like the real Kool Aid. <laughs> but I don't like to drink the corporate Kool Aid, and especially yeah. if people are just saying stuff that I am like, that does not make any sense, and I totally disagree. Um, I won't. I I can't drink the Kool Aid because it's, everybody knows that I don't like how how it tastes. I mean, they can just yeah, tell yeah. from. I can't go in and fake a situation like I. But so that makes it hard sometimes in corporate situations, Definitely. you know, and so I think that for people that are feeling like, you know, they just don't like the Kool-Aid, you can, you, you do have the freedom if you allow yourself to think that way. Because sometimes I know I did this for a long time. I committed to a situation that I knew was less than ideal for me. And I stayed in it because I thought this is what I studied in school. This is what, you know, I, I have to commit to this. And I think I wasted some time doing yeah, that, yeah, you know. Absolutely, yeah. So so you um, had this whirlwind fashion design experience, and then you have people wooing you <laughs> into a job at the company you want to work for. So this is working out very nicely. It did. So you got, you got to um, Ralph Lauren, and then what happened? Well, it was a really interesting job, as all of them have been, it seems like. Um, we, I was hired to um, work with a very small team that was doing the, um, the RLX line, which is their... Oh, it's kind of changed, and it was actually in transition when I was when I was just coming on board. Um, it was sort of their sports line, their their activewear line, um, and at the time that I was coming on board, they really wanted to make it into a true. Oh, like they wanted they wanted the outdoors people to take it seriously. Like they wanted to be real mountaineering, and they wanted to be authentic bicycle racing, and you know they wanted they wanted the. Um, the people in, in that side of the industry to take them seriously instead of saying, oh, you know, it's, it's Ralph Lauren doing, doing sports, you know. Right, sports, right. That's, you know, we're not going to wear that. Um, so I was working with a guy who they had taken on a consultant um, who was from the, the outdoors background, the, the outdoor market background. And, and um, it was a, an amazing opportunity once again because he would take me shopping to, and that's oddly enough something that you do for work when you're a fashion designer. Um, we would go shopping to, you know, the sporting goods store and things like that. And, and he would really talk me through the fabrications and he would talk me through, you know, what's a gusset, what's an articulated elbow and all these, you know, what's a zipper garage, all these funny terms that, that you only know if you're in the outdoor market. But as a result... Um, what is a zipper garage? <laughs> I'm like intrigued by that. A zipper garage is if you, if you go and you buy yourself like a ski parka or okay. um, some, you know, coat like that. Um, they're very popular now. They're, they're the little place when you zip your zipper all the way up. They're that little, um, how do you describe it? Like, it really looks almost like a little garage for your zipper to get parked in. It's, okay, so it kind of stays It stays put and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sort of covers it up, keeps it from, you know, rubbing against your chin if the zipper is up really high. Okay. Yeah. Well, interesting. I love the terminology. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> there are some funny terms. But it was, it was a great opportunity, again, because... Um, Oh gosh, the the technical packages that we put would put together for these coats were, and I ended up doing this um, when I went to work for Tommy Hilfiger. I, I was doing it by myself. I put together these you know twenty page packages of technical sketches of you know this is how 
um, the elbow should be formed. Um, you know, these are the different pieces, the, the components that go into it, and this is how it needs to be sewn, and this is what the inside of the jacket looks like, and, you know, all the drawstrings, and just really, really technical sketches and packages that would go to these um, factories to um, help them to actually make up the patterns and, and make the jackets for us. Um, and I think that is probably where I developed the skills that I'm using now when I'm writing, you know, sewing patterns and sewing instructions. Um, the, the patience and the ability to really work through all of these little details in order to make something actually come to fruition. Um, that all sort of began, I think, at Ralph Lauren when I was there. And how long were you there? Um, I think only a year. And then Peter, my boss, left. And things sort of sort of started disintegrating because they decided within the company that uh, maybe we don't want mountaineering quite so much. I think we'd rather go the fashion design direction. And I just sort of felt like I caught right in the middle. I think I want to go do something else for a while. So I went freelance um, and really enjoyed that because I I too and not you know I was tired of the corporate thing. I was really tired of all the design by committee and. Well, like we talked about before, you know, I just didn't feel like I was really cut out for that, and I needed a little break for it. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I went freelance for a while and worked for a few different um, freelance companies and found some work on my own, and, oh, I ended up working. I did a great job. Um, I moved out to San Francisco for, I don't know, one or two months, I think, maybe six weeks, um, and did some technical design for Esprit out there um, on their children's clothing line, which was a lot of fun. And then ultimately, after I think maybe another year of freelancing, um, I went back and um, took a job with Tommy Hilfiger. And that's when I started doing um, mostly men's golf clothing for them. And that, again, was you know the very technical um, illustrations and, and outdoors um, design. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of um, jackets and mostly men's shirts and pants. I was doing a lot of print design and um, woven fabric design, which was really fun. A lot of shirtings and things. Um, yeah, and I stayed there until I had my daughter. Yeah. And how old is your, your daughter's going into kindergarten or pre-kindergarten? Four yeah. and a half. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you had your daughter, then you're confronted with this, the question that every mother is then confronted with, <laughs> what do I do now as far as my career goes? And um, Yeah, and so... Um, is, is motherhood part of the, the um, you know, one of the main things that led you to be become independent with your own business? Or was, yeah, I yeah. had no intention of doing this, to be perfectly honest with you. It never even occurred to me to write sewing patterns, especially for kids' clothes. It just never even occurred to me. I, um, I really wanted to work. I, I love Tommy. I really love Tommy, and I, I wanted to stay there. Um, but I also wanted to spend time with my daughter. And when you're in fashion design, the hours are still pretty crazy. I mean, you're probably working 50 to 60 hours a week, if not more. Um, so uh, they had told me, you know, you could go down to four days a week. And I thought, nah. Todd was doing a lot of traveling at that point. He was working as a, um, a consultant and was spending probably four or five days a week on the road. So there was just no way that we could have a child and I could be working, you know, even 40 hours a week. And um, we were going we were going to swing it all, so I ended up leaving, and I was really sad about it. But at the same time, um, I really did want to spend time with with our daughter. Um, so yeah, I was home with her, and I was doing some sewing or wanting to do some sewing, and I could not find any sewing patterns that in- interested me. I have a, a niece who's um, oh, she's she must be six or seven years older than our daughter, and um, I had I had sewn for her when she was quite young. Mm-hmm. And I went looking for sewing patterns for um, for Thea, as we call her, because um, we don't actually use her name on our blog or anything. Um, and it was the same sewing patterns that I had made, you know, six or seven years earlier. And I just thought, gosh, this just this is not working. There's got to be, you know, something a little more interesting and something a little bit more up to date than than um, these these you know these old sewing patterns that I'm finding in, in the fabric store. Um, and there wasn't. I mean, I, I started doing the market research, and there was just nothing out there. You could find a few what they call heirloom sewing patterns, which is, you know, more old-fashioned, um, some really beautiful things. But I wanted something that was more contemporary, and mm-hmm. there was nothing out there. 
So um, I started drafting my own patterns, which, you know, obviously I had the skills from, from FIT and um, hadn't really used a lot of pattern making since then. I had sewn for myself, but, you know, it had only been a few years. It wasn't that long. So I started drafting patterns for her and making things, and my friends were saying, oh, you know, you should, you should be selling these. And I thought, yeah, no, that's, that's not happening. And then another <laughs> friend said, well, you know, what about making the sewing patterns? And I thought, eh, there is that opportunity. So I started really looking into it, and um, my husband being the business person that he is, um, said, well, you know, if you're really serious about this, you've got to write a business proposal or a full business plan. And I did, and I was talking to lawyers, and I was, you know, all the time, uh, she was, what, a year old, maybe two years old, and, you know, we're at the playground, and I'm on my cell phone talking to lawyers and just thinking this is crazy. Um, but I did. I wrote this whole business plan and, um, and showed it to my husband, and, you know, we worked out the finances and um, said, yeah, you know, we've, we've just got to do this. Um, but the funny thing was that at the time I did this, I said, oh, you know, I can just do this. This will be my part-time gig. You know, I'll do it while she's taking naps. So, um, you know, when she goes to school, it will become a little bit bigger thing. And, um, and this will just be, you know, it will just be sort of a, and I don't want to say a side project because we were serious about it. We wanted it to be a real company. But I never dreamed it would be quite so all-consuming. <laughs> 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 what can you do? <laughs> yeah, so how quickly did things, I mean, you started this, what year was it when you started? Let's see. Um, our first patterns came out in spring of, spring of, can't be 2008. I think it was 2008, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have grown really fast, and I mean that's I mean yeah, it kind of doesn't feel like it, but we just got our new line list um, for Quilt Market, which is in just a month or so, and um, I got it from the printer and looked at it and thought, oh my gosh, we've done a lot of sewing patterns. Didn't feel like it at the time. How many have you done? Ah, oh, goodness, I'd have to go back and count. I can't even think. A couple of them we've taken out of print. Where. Um, we're uh, taking things out of print as, as we we find that it's just not you know they're they're slowing down in sales. So I have to, I'm just pulling out the line list here. It looks like 14 styles right now. Wow! Since the spring of 2008. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All designed by you. And, <laughs> yeah. And so these are these are for children, um, ages. It's what what are the ranges again for? You know, we started out the first collection that we put out was birth, like newborn, um, to size five. And I thought, yeah, this will be great. We'll have two size ranges. We'll go birth to, I think it was 2T, I forget. And no, it must have been birth to 24 months and 2T to five or something like that. And we went to Quilt Market and um, presented the, the new patterns. We, they weren't even available yet, but we went to Quilt Market and displayed them anyway. Um, and everyone was saying, we need bigger sizes. We need bigger sizes. So um, we just kept hearing this from our customers, you know, once the patterns were released. And um, so we thought, well, okay, you know, we'll go up to size 8. Um, and we just keep hearing it. So we're starting to talk about, you know, potentially going up to some larger sizes. I think we'll, we'll try some in the spring and see how it goes. But at present we're going, I have to look now because I forget. I think we're starting at 6 months. Yeah, 6 months and going up to size 8. Which I'm happy about because my kids are both under size eight. So, cool. so, but I'm so. hearing from a lot of our customers, my daughter's going to grow out of your patterns next year. You've got to make these bigger. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and I like just the aesthetic and I like the look that you create. So I actually would like, like this whole um, jump rope pattern dress. I would actually wear that if it was an adult size. I cannot tell I'm you not sure what that says about me, but I love that style of dress. And I, oh, I'm glad. I have a checkered dress and that was one of the, um, I think on your blog, you had that pattern made in checkered print and I just bought a dress um not too long ago and it was this checkered print but it's like that whole it has that kind of vintage feel to it you know and um my daughters I said look girls you know we can make this dress and it'll match my dress and they're they were they (laughs) thought that was just really great you know Um, but yeah that so it's it's definitely um the look I I really like for not only for my kids but for myself too so do you think you'll ever go into adult sizes do you think or um 
I mean, not, not you'll probably have to change your because some of your patterns really are they look like <laughs> children's clothing. Yeah. So you yeah. wouldn't obviously go up to size, you know, a woman's you know size eight dress or something. Right. But right. Um, well, and that's even that's even the issue with um, within kids' clothes. You know, does does a two year old dress the same as a ten year old? Right. Right. Does have to change exactly. Yeah. So it's not as easy as people just coming up to your booth and saying, "Hey, can you just make that bigger?" Um, right. Because it does require right. a little more on your part. There to, are certain patterns that just would not look right in, I think, a size 10. Or <laughs> or, or for me to wear. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, wow, I think that's my pattern, but that's kind of scary that you made it in a size, you know, your size. <laughs> I'm envisioning Jennifer in the Tea Party play suit. It would be great. <laughs> Is that the one with those bloomer pants or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to do any uh, bloomer pants anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's those days are long in my past. But, um, yeah, no, I just think, I think it's great, and I, 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 you know, your designs are really fun. And why don't you describe for people? And I'm gonna, um, of course, link to your blog, and I'll have some uh, some images. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put something up so people can see uh, oh, what we're okay. talking about. But for those who can't see right now while we're talking, describe your your style and your designs a little bit for what, what you're kind of going for, what you're trying to give the market that the market didn't have, like what we did, the options mm-hmm. we didn't have um, before you came along and started designing. Okay, um, I guess. I guess really what, what I wanted and what I, what I try to design to is I, I want something that's sort of an updated classic. I want, I want something that's going to be relatively timeless. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want us all to look back at our kids 10 or, 10 or 20 years down the road and say, oh, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, I, it almost, I almost want it to be, I don't want it to look vintage. I want it to look like contemporary classics, I guess, is sort of the, the way you might say it. And, I, I, you know, really when, it, when, you, when you step back and look at it, I, I think that's kind of what Ralph Lauren does too. You know, I think that's kind of what, um, what J. Crew designs into as well. It's, it's that, more of that aesthetic, you know, not, not um, I'm, I'm not going for retro, which I think sometimes people think we're doing because of the, the style of the paper dolls, but I'm going more for contemporary classics. Well, and I think what you said about things being timeless, um, I think that's really a wonderful thing to, to go for because, um, you know, if, if the kid looks at their photo in the jump rope dress in 10 years and they're not like, oh, gross, how could you put me in there? You know, they're, right. they're like, wow, that's really pretty. Do you still have that dress around? I'd like to keep that for my cedar chest or, you know, what, you know what I mean? It's one of those yeah. things where I could see my grandchildren, if, you know, I have granddaughters, um, I mean, the, if I make this dress, I think this is a dress that, I mean, depending on what kind of print, I mean, you can always goof up a design with a, with a awful print, but, but I mean, so there's always room for, there's always room to, to really botch a job. But, um, but I think, but I think if you pick, if you pick a classic print, you know, and something that's, that's very nice, um, even, you know, just, I mean, so you give some great suggestions too, and just what you've made it out of in, on your blog. Um, but I think, you know, it's one of, it definitely is a, a dress and your patterns are the sort that if you make them, uh, it's not going to be something that you're going to look back in five years and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, because it's not a fad. It's not, you're not trying yeah. to make something that's like the, the in now, but you know, it's going to be out in six months. Right, right. And I think one of the reasons that that, that's, that appeals to me so much is because my mom saved so many of the clothes that she made for us. Mm-hmm. She sends them to me and I think, wow, you know, I would absolutely put our daughter in that now, that there's, you know, it just has survived, I mean, 40 years now. Or right, whatever. right. Um, yeah, I feel strongly about that because you put the work into it. And I think we have such fond memories of, of our, or at least I do. I, I have very fond memories of the dresses that my mom made for me. And I'd, I'd like to be able to pass that along to my daughter, you know, um, and to give her the opportunity to be able to say, you know, to, if she has a, a daughter to be able to say, oh, you know, my mom made me this dress, and, you know, now you can wear it. I mean, right. I was wearing a, a dress just the other day that, that my mom had made for, she actually made um, one for me and one for my younger sister, and I have both of the sizes now, so she's gotten to wear it, um, you know, in, in both sizes, and, and she adores it, and I think one of the reasons that she likes it so much is because she knows that, you know, it was my dress. Right. Yeah, I, my mom has made dresses that I now 
my daughters are wearing. And it's so fun to be able to put a dress. And I remember wearing it. I remember, you know, the events that I went to wearing it because it was a special dress. And um, my girls appreciate that, too. So, That's so yeah, right. we'll have to get one of your designs into this rotation of family oh, tradition here. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And I think you've been really, I mean, you definitely have achieved what you set out to do with, um, just having that, because that's totally the, the feel I get when I look at these designs. I'm like, wow, that, that is something. It's timeless. It's classic. It's oh, wonderful. God. So congratulations um, okay. on that. And let's talk about the paper dolls a little bit, because these patterns are, are um, it's not just a pattern. There's a paper right. doll with every pattern, So which is really fun. Tell me about that. Um, what inspired that idea? Um, my friend Brooke, and actually I, I need to give Brooke a lot of credit because um, – I, I met Brooke um, because of my blog. I, I was blogging about Pearl Patchwork, which was, um, it's one of the, the really great fabrics. Oh, it's fantastic, and I want to go someday. Oh, yeah. you need to go. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Um, Joelle was just opening Pearl right around the time that um, I was saying to her, uh, well, right around the time that I was really looking at, at starting the, the pattern company. And I had just said to a friend of mine, in fact, the friend who, who told me, you really need to start publishing patterns, I just said to her, this city needs a decent quilt shop. I wish somebody would open one, and I don't want to do it. And we were literally walking down to the knitting store. <laughs> and there was Joelle, and I started talking with her, and she said, oh, I'm opening up this fabric store to stuff the block. And I thought, oh, I mean, what a fast answer to prayer that is. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I, I had gone in, and I, I asked her if I could take some photos and blog about it. And she said, you know, of course. And, and then she contacted me later and said, she had seen the photos, and she said, would you mind if we use those photos for our, for our website? And I you know, said, of course, fine. Let me, let me take some extra ones for you just to, you know, to help out. So through that, I actually met Brooke, who does, um, she does all of our visual design, and she does a lot of the visuals, I think everything for Pearl as well. Um, and so I was sending her these photos, and just in the course of conversation or email or whatever, I mentioned to her that I was talking about these, these children's clothing patterns. And... Um, Asked her, I think I had asked her for a friend who needed some website design or something, and, and she came back and she said, I really don't want to do the website design, but about those ch- children's patterns, here's a proposed idea for the package design. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you're completely out of the blue. Which is great because you um, didn't even ask her for that, and she no, just kind of gives you this so wonderful. She about this idea. That yeah. She you know, had, these, had these concepts that she wanted to put out there. And it's actually funny. I, in fact, I really need to blog this one of these days. I just came across her. Um, her first design the other day, it's not too far from the whole paper doll concept, but we sort of pushed it. We didn't want to do photography because I feel like there's a lot of photography out there, and we just wanted it to be very distinctive um, and look really different from all the other patterns that are out there. So um, we sort of tossed around a few ideas, and Brooke had this idea for the paper doll. Um, And I think, if I have to ask her um, to be sure, but I believe that the idea came from that book, The Snowy Day, um, Ezra Jack Keats. Oh, okay, yeah. Where he, he cuts out, um, a, a lot of his illustrations are, are using different printed papers and textured papers. And I believe she was reading that book to her kids one night and had this idea for the paper dolls. Um, so we started looking around for an illustrator and looked at a couple different people and found Dan Andreessen, um, who I did not know at the time. But after we hired him and he did these paper dolls in the sort of 40s vintage style that we were looking for, um, I, I think I Googled his name or something and realized after the fact that he also does a lot of the American Girls dolls. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really cool. It just never even occurred to me. that. Well, know, it fits so well with the whole thing of what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love them. I just love them. And it's a real pleasure to work with him, too. He's a lot of fun. You may not have seen yet, but um, on our blog this morning, we just posted um, with the new paper dolls that are coming out, we hired oh, the dog. to do the school dog for Yes. Yeah, I yeah. just saw that so. today, this morning, in fact. I think it's so cute. <laughs> Isn't it adorable? That is so cute. And the thing is, I saved my spools. Oh, good. Because oh, so I am, glad. well, I'm ridiculous. I save everything. <laughs> you never know when they're coming in. Well, I'm going to break my leg one of these days just getting across a room in my house. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's seriously, like, because I work from home and I don't have, like, um, I, so my work kind of 
is very fun, but it also like spra- spreads all over the house. Oh, but okay. so I have a bunch of spools that, um, in fact, I interviewed a quilter for my um, the column I write for the newspaper. I want to say it was a year and a half ago or so, and she she has these spools every year. She collects every spool from the whole year and threads it onto like a shoelace or a piece of um, yarn or something that's strong enough to hold all these spools. And she said it's kind of like her. It, it's like she collects those and sees how many spools if she can outdo the previous year. Okay, and she uses it kind of a measure as of her productivity. Of how, oh, so I she had several it. years worth of empty spools. Because uh, I said, oh, you know, I said, oh, you just kind of string them up. And I was wondering, like, what was going on with these spools? Like, if she had a project planned or what? Yeah. I didn't think anything of the fact that the person had spools because I'm like, yeah, I do too. I didn't have that many. I mean, she had, like, dozens strung up and she goes oh that's just each year i string them <laughs> i'm like wow that is so great yeah wow. so she, yeah so anyway um she would be able to make a lot of dogs <laughs> so that it's like a so paper funny. dog in a way with a or spool dog what are you calling it your the spool dog the spool yeah. dog yeah okay. pearl is, is the dog's name so yeah. is this is it which pattern is this this dog going to be on it's actually not on a pattern it's a separate card and it's okay. really funny because it's based on there were some some vintage school dogs. Coates and Clark did this years ago. They, they hired a well-known illustrator um, to make... There was a dog and there was a, um, a pig and a cow and I think some other animals as well. And um, they were all on, I believe, some sort of a, like a postcard or okay. some sort of cardstock um, and printed with a, a little poem um, that sort of... I don't know, introduced you to the animal, gave it a, maybe not a name, but talked a little bit about the animal and then gave instructions for, you know, cutting out the front and the back and gluing them um, to a spool in order to make this animal. My poor husband, who um, <laughs> recently joined the company, he, he came on board to basically run the company so that I can just be designing. Um, he spent a day writing the poem that goes with, with Pearl, our little Pearl dog. He said, I never dreamed that this is what I was going to do with my career, but here right. I am writing poems about dogs. And so he, because he left a job, where, where was he working when he... He had gone from, um, from management consulting to um, finance, uh, of all things, um, and then he just recently left his job in finance. Um, to come and, and run the company. Well, that's a really great sign that if a man is leaving a job in finance to come and, and run a pattern company, that the pattern company is doing well. <laughs> well, you, you know, you know? I, I don't want to say, I, I don't want to mislead anybody. I think the perception um, with companies like us and, you know, a lot of other designers is that, oh, you know, you're really visible, you must be doing really well. Um, it's a struggle, I have to say, to be honest. It, it, it's, it's always a struggle, and, and um, just, you know, staying, staying in business is, is, is a challenge. And I'm very fortunate that, that he is here to, to really run things because I think we're much more efficient and um, financially, you know, we are, we are doing better than we were. But I, I can't say that, you know, that it was a decision that we made because, because we were, you know, rolling in money. By well, money. yeah, I think any... any- you know, art and craft based business. I mean, it's not something where you just like, you know, shut down at five and roll around in cash for fun right, after exactly. hours. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard work. Um, but I guess it's, it's a sign that, you know, cause a lot of people keep, they'll keep an art and craft business, like any kind of, you know, kind of a side thing, kind yeah. of small. And you guys have kind of committed to this and said, okay, we're both yeah. in this and we're going to make this work. And, you know, yeah. so that's definitely inspiring to people that, you know, you can make a commitment. It's not going to be, um, you know, like working one day a week and then being in the Bahamas for the rest of the week because you have so much money, you know? I mean, right, right. But, we'll never be living on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, we'll but... Come to terms with that. But, but it sounds like... Love it. Yeah, well, and it sounds... That must be wonderful, too, for you to have kind of control of how your day is going to go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it always feels a little out of control, you know? We kind of joke that, well, sometimes it's not such a joke, but, but we, we um, rarely have you know, groceries in the refrigerator and there's often, you know, piles of laundry that need to be done. <laughs> right. On the other hand, um, if I was working for somebody else, I wouldn't be able to, you know, leave at four to go pick up my daughter from school or, right. um, you know, take a day off if, if she needs us or something. Right. So I do love that flexibility of it. I have to say it's, you know, I, I think we work harder than we would ever work if we were working for someone else, but in the end it's worth it. So, yeah. Do you have a long commute to get home or do you... We're so fortunate. We live right on the L line um, in Manhattan. Um, the L is one of the, the trains that yeah. moves east to west. 
So I walk um, maybe two, three blocks from our apartment to the subway station, and then it's just four stops on the subway. So it's literally maybe 20 minutes door to door. That's and great. Todd jokes that you know he can't even read the front page of the Wall Street Journal on his on his subway train because um, it's just so short. So it's really nice. It's very convenient, and it's nice to have that separation too, where you know you don't feel like you're working and living in the same spot. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of struggling with that a little bit now, and crawling over piles of, of work. You know, it's so, hard, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's um, yeah, but it, for right now, I think um, having no overhead is really great. Yes. You know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that was a huge that was a huge leap for me to take. It was actually I was I was planning on running our company out of our apartment, our teeny little one bedroom apartment. And we very quickly realized that there was no way that was going to happen. But actually taking that step to find a space and pay the rent, was that was a pretty big leap to make. Right, because then you're really committed. Because you're yeah, like, okay, I right. really do have to sell some product to pay that's my right. rent. And yeah, it yeah, changes it's everything. It's not a hobby anymore. It's that sort of, you know, that becomes a very, very quick revelation. Right, but yeah. you, your productivity probably just went up when you actually had space to work. I mean, I'm, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah. It used to be that you know the dining room table was our was was my my office basically. So in order to make dinner, everything had to come back down, and yeah, it was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> well, it sounds like things have gone are um, going well for you, and you're you've been in your your studio space for how long now? It's going uh, on a couple years for just about a year. Okay, we, we moved. I, my first studio was just two blocks from our apartment, right in Manhattan, which was great, except that it kept flooding, <laughs> and that doesn't work real well when, when you have paper products. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. And it was this purple water. It, there was something about the the boiler kept overflowing or something. So. Purple water. Yeah, that would yeah. make me wonder too. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel too <laughs> too comfortable. Well. So I'm really glad we've got the new space, and it's beautiful out here too. We've got these huge, we're in a corner um, of the building, and we've got these enormous windows that look out over northern Manhattan, so we've got tons of light, and it's really lovely. I really enjoy coming out here. So how many employees do you have? Do you have other people Um, that work with you? Yes. um, It's me and Todd full-time right now, and then we have um, one just recent employee. She started out as a summer intern and just came on board two or three days a week now, and she is, um, she's actually trained as a costume designer, and she works the other two or three days of the week for the Metropolitan Opera, so I feel really fortunate to have someone oh, who wow. um, has fantastic construction skills and has really contributed a lot with ideas for problem solving, and um, yeah, she's, she's wonderful. We adore her. So things are still fairly small, but things are still small. Yeah, yeah. When you're a company like this, you do a lot of things yourself. I, we posted photos recently on on my personal blog of um, the fall patterns coming in and these four huge pallets of um, of boxes that came in. But you know, Todd and I and Julia unloaded uh, all one and a half tons of those boxes ourselves, and <laughs> they're now standing in the middle of our studio, taking up an awful lot of space. Oh goodness! <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's one of those things where I think you have the sense of accomplishment that you know, if you're calling, you know, Bruno to come and unload the truck for you, you know, yeah. it's just it's just a whole different thing. You know, it when is, you're doing it, it yourself, yeah. it's yeah. just a whole different feel and. Well, and one of the things, too, that I want to congratulate you on is that this company is not that old, but everyone has heard of it, you know, and I think if you sew and you sew for kids, your patterns are, I know I I went to, right before your visit, I was in a a sewing store here in Grand Rapids, and I was like, oh, yes, that's awesome that they have, you know, they have your patterns in there. And that's got to be kind of cool for you to to have some recognition, you know, it, it takes, sometimes it takes people a long time to establish any kind of, like where people have heard of your company, you know, and, and for you, I think, you know, just from, in my, from my observation, it seems like you've been able to get your name out there fairly quickly. And how do you, oh, well, thank you. how were you able to do that? Ah, uh, you know, I think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think we've just developed a really good reputation. I mean, a lot of it is just, um, I think people just really appreciate the very detailed instructions um, within the patterns because I really write the patterns for beginning sewers, you know, people who just don't have a lot of experience with sewing because I think that a lot of patterns are written making some assumptions about what you know. Because I've done a lot of um, teaching um, beginning sewers, I've, I think I've just sort of gotten a sense of, of you know, um, the questions that people have and mm-hmm. the, the 
the easiest ways to explain things. And, yeah, I've just really focused on making them as detailed as I can. So I, th- I think that's a big part of it. I think there wasn't a lot out there, you know, before we, we came out. And, and now I see, I see a, lot of, um, a lot of pattern companies coming out. So I think we were also just at the, at the front of a, a trend. So. Well, and I think uh, the care you've taken, too, with the branding, I think has helped, probably really helped you establish because it's, it's a very distinct, as you said, you know, you wanted it to be different than the other patterns out there. And so I think not only your approach to making things easy for beginners, but also interesting for experienced sewers, um, the, the look yeah. that you've given this and the look you've created. I mean, you have spool dogs. Come on. Does anybody else have any spool dogs right now? I don't think so. Uh- <laughs> well, I think another thing that I, I think probably... I think even the more experienced um, seamstresses really appreciate about us is that I do I do tend to include a lot of details in the sewing patterns, a lot of dressmaking details that you don't find um, in other in other pattern making companies. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to to walk you through. Um, well, like on the jump rope dress, you know, there's there's a, a placket and a collar. Um, and I've made them access- as accessible as I can. You know, I, I've really um, like the collar doesn't have a collar stand because I think collar stands are a real pain to sew and, and would be very difficult for a lot of people to do. Thank you for omitting the collar stand. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be but, doing this pattern like in the next week. And I, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm really, you know, and I'm kind of looking at it. I'm like, wow, this is really cute. I hope I don't screw it up. Because I'm kind of at that beginning. I'm still a beginner when it comes to sewing garments. Oh, sure, sure. So, yeah, I appreciate all those little um, things okay. you do for beginners. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really, I try to approach them. I was a, I was a tailoring major in school, um, and I really like those dressmaking details that you don't see a lot in today's fashion. Um, I think a lot of pattern-making companies tend to, you know, even with the big four or however many big pattern companies there are out there, I think they tend to sort of say, oh, you know, we really don't want to throw that at somebody. We don't want to, you know, give somebody a really complicated placket to sew. But... I think if you break it down into the individual steps and really explain it very clearly, then it's not it's not an insurmountable challenge. But I, I think that I think that there's a lot of effort involved in writing out those instructions. Oh yeah, I, I have a feeling that that's why a lot of other pattern make, making um, companies do not attempt that because uh, you know there are months and months involved in developing the patterns. As a result, we do a lot of testing and reworking and, you know, just trying to make sure that they're just as sewable as possible. But, yeah, you know, we could we could certainly simplify things and um, make the patterns go a lot more quickly. But I, I just really value those details, and that's what I wanted to sew, and I kind of write them. Right. No, I think it's great, and I think the approach is, is wonderful. Otherwise, you know, you could kick out a lot of pillowcase dress designs real fast, you know, right. and have them be super simple. And for beginners, that might be like, okay, cool, instant gratification. You have this dress done, but that's it. It's just a pillowcase dress, and anyone could make it. Where this, these patterns, they're great because they're they're really they're really cute. And I look at it, and I'm going to be honest. I'm like, wow, I hope I can I hope I can do this, but. <laughs> Um, the fact that, that you have these detailed instructions, you know, I, you start to read them and you're like, yeah, I, I can do this. I mean, the first one might not look good and it's not because of, it's not Liesl's fault. <laughs> it's, it's mine and I will keep practicing. But I think to have something that's beautiful and yet presented in an attainable way is just great because it's great for those experienced sewers out there and also gives the beginners um, a chance to kind of hang with the experienced people and, and make their kids some cute clothes too so they're yeah. not stuck in well, pillowcase dress land, you know. And there's nothing wrong with the pillowcase dress. No, I love them, but if that, you get tired of making them, you know. Right, right. And one of the other things we've really tried to do with, with our patterns is we rate them according to difficulty level. Yeah, with the, the scissors. difficulty level isn't yeah. always necessarily like real difficulty level. Part of it is also just the amount of time commitment that you need to put into a project. Right. So like with the jump rope dress, the, the newer dress, we labeled it three scissors, and I, you know, I always sort of agonize over what the rating should be. It's not a hard dress to sew, but there are a lot of steps, you know, especially if you make the, the first view right. um, with the gathered skirt. You know, you've got the collar and the placket and the skirt and the pockets and the sleeves, and, you know, there, there are a lot of pieces that come together. So it's not even necessarily that it's that difficult, but it will take you longer to accomplish. But having said that, I guess, I guess what, I, what I wanted to say was, you know, that's a three-scissors pattern. The one-scissors patterns, obviously, are a lot more achievable. So 
if you're if you're a beginning sewer or you know a relatively new sewer, it might you know you might want to start with one of the one of the ones. Sure, and kind of work your way up. up. Yeah. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot too is that um, you know a lot of our customers come back and say, "Wow, I feel like you know I just finished this pattern and I feel like I took a sewing class because I learned you know how to do this and how to do that." And I've been kind of thinking about how we should really sort of put together a cur- curriculum, you know, learn to sew by following the patterns where, you know, you start out with the simpler patterns and then you sort of work your way up to. Yeah, that would be great. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's in the works. We'll yeah. See. Well, I think it's wonderful because I know I've been sewing things since I was a kid, but I've done a lot of like quilting bags and you know stuff like that and when you start getting into garment sewing where it has to fill if it has to fit because a quilt you know you just throw it on the bed and you're all set you hope it's flat exactly (laughs) yeah no if you can get that going you know you're all set that's right and um i like to do kind of this random like modern approach right throw you know just kind of randomly sew fabrics together and all that you can't really randomly put a garment together and like drape it on i mean i've tried and let me just tell you it doesn't look as good as a quilt does but um but so i think this approach is perfect because for those of us who didn't grow up sitting right next to somebody who was sewing you know all day long um yeah my mom did sew but not not it sounds like not as much as your mom did and so um for a lot of women there's you know this kind of generation gap in a way where the sewing skills might have been passed down you know with previous generations and just it so when pattern companies came out with these kind of vague instructions People didn't need explanation because everybody had been sewing since childhood and making their own clothes more out of necessity. It was a different kind of approach where you might not need the instruction, but now I think there's several of us out there who are very grateful for that <laughs> explanation. So, You know, I think you bring up a really interesting point because um, I do think that there was sort of a generation that, you know, our, our mother's generation for, for a large part, part um, just, you know, that was sort of... It was sort of something you sewing was sort of something you didn't need to do anymore to a large degree, right? You know? And right. and um, so I do think you're right that it skipped a generation. And I guess I was fortunate that you know my mom did still sew. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people who are learning to sew now, you know, their, their mothers either didn't have time to sew or just you know that was something that was sort of old fashioned, and you know you just didn't do that. And, it, and we were sort of beyond that, I think. Well, and I think a lot of times, too, when people could get clothes fairly cheap at the store, um, and they're made cheap. I mean, they're not going to hold up like a hand-sewn garment is going to if you're buying a $3 shirt somewhere. But for a lot of people, that's the more affordable option, so that's what they go with. So that, I think, at the point when fabric became, it wasn't the bargain to make your own clothes. Um, That's so true. Because now, I mean, if you're making your own clothes, it's not to save money. You know, no, for the exactly. most part, unless you're making them out of old bed sheets, and then even with an um, with a great pattern from you, <laughs> the garment might not look as good as you know if you have some really nice new fabric that you're using. It's uh, yeah, so it's kind of people's motivation if it's to save money. I think that generation before us, you know, people realize like, oh, this isn't the bargain it used to be. Right. You know. Right. And it's now very it's very much become self-expression, and um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's. The, the motivation for changing has changed dramatically. Thanks again for your time. I really well, appreciate it. Fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. A special thanks to Liesl for that great interview and for sharing the story of how she's built the successful business. We really appreciate that, Liesl. Thank you. So head over to craftsanity.com where I'm going to have links to the Oliver and Us website, Liesl's blog, and some other cool things. Just pay particular attention to that jump rope dress pattern. I swear, if that was big enough, I would I would seriously wear it. And I have no shame about that. <laughs> I think it's very cute. And as I said in there, it was hilarious for me when I went back to edit this show. And I hear myself saying, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that, that dress <laughs> this week. And I'm trying to remember what I had going that week. But I'm just thinking, really, you're going to do that this week? I think it was like, like the week or two before school started. So, I mean, there, it was like chaotic around here and it seems like it's chaotic all the time, but I had to crack up. So, um, I haven't gotten through that project yet, but I have it sitting here right next to me, have some fabric picked out and I just need to carve out some time to do that. You know, I can't wait. It's almost, it's ridiculous. It's like torture having this pattern here because it's so darn cute and I can't wait to get started. If you have any ideas of who you'd like me to interview next, feel free to send me an email. I always appreciate those suggestions. And um, 
I still haven't figured out how to do this, but you know, I could do this show every day if I could find a way to make that pay. Because one of the most frustrating things for me is that I am inspired constantly by stuff I see online, books I read, people I hear about and work I see. And I'm just like, wow, there's so many stories out there that are not being told fast enough. I'm going to bring you another episode next week about pattern making. I'm very excited about this show because I am, like I said, you know, I'm really just getting started with garment sewing. And my daughters are three and five, and they're at that age where they will actually wear stuff I make for them. And I want to be able to make them some great stuff. And I also really want to be able to make myself some great stuff because I look in my closet and it's a lot of this cheaply made, totally like imported like stuff. And it, it doesn't really mean much to me, but I have so much of it and it's cluttering up my house. And I'd rather have fewer clothes that fit me and, you know, just call it good. So anyway, more about that next week when we talk about pattern making and it's going to be a great interview. Um, so come on back next week for that. If you're interested in sponsoring an upcoming episode of Craft Sanity, click on the sponsors link on the left-hand side of the page, and you can find out some details about that. It's a pretty simple process, and going into the Christmas season, um, it'd be great to have some crafty partners. If you're looking to get the word out to like-minded folks who are going to be shopping with handmade retailers as they check people off their gift list for the holiday season. Keep me in mind. Uh, I'd appreciate your support with an upcoming show. I'm not going to do an after show. I'll just quickly say that the Craft Sanity Peg Looms, that business is still going pretty strong. I'm constantly challenged by just how can I make these looms faster. But it's been really fun, and I'm enjoying seeing photos of what people have made on their peg loom. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I make looms. I kind of got this harebrained idea um, over the summer to start making the potholder loom. I made a wooden version, teamed up with a local woodworker, and now make these looms from a teeny size that is just like a small, like I think it's like three inch square and it makes, um, you can make uh, either a very teeny tiny coaster or like patchwork, like little squares to sew together for bags. I like to make banners and I need to get more photos up on the web to show people what I've been making with those smallest, the smallest mini potholder loom. And I made them all the way up a coaster, a larger coaster size. There's a traditional potholder loom size and then a bigger potholder that's great for cooking and actually using in the kitchen and then I have bigger squares that you can use to sew together for bags and rugs and then there's an actual rug loom that's like a 38 by 30 size loom that has been really fun to work on so I've been busy doing that and writing my column for the paper and all that good stuff and uh, also picking up uh, freelance assignments as they become available. So I'm definitely not lacking for things to do. So, yeah, um, if you have any any questions or comments for me, you know where to find me, jennifer at craftsanity.com. And with that said, I've rambled long enough. I'm going to let you get on with your business, and I will be back shortly with episode 107. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Mm-hmm.